over the last four months. We've been reporting about the trafficking of more than 350 Liberian women to the Middle Eastern country of Oman. A network of traffickers, including Liberians and Omanis, deceived the women in their 20s and early 30s into believing they were going for good jobs that would change their families' lives. Instead, they were trapped in a scheme that had them working as domestic servants in hellish conditions with no way out. Unlike in previous trafficking schemes, this time the Liberian government got tough. It engaged Omani authorities and began prosecuting traffickers. Alleged mastermind Liberian Samuel Chenchen is on the run. His brother Arthur is serving a 25-year sentence for his role in getting women past security checks at the Rivals International Airport, where he was a national security officer. Others who helped in the scheme have been jailed and charged. Most unusual, at least 250 of the women have come home in what experts say is the first time a large group of women has broken free of a trafficking trap of its kind. In this podcast, Eshka, I'm speaking to Drew Andrew, the anti-trafficking advisor in the U.S. Embassy in Liberia. Has this ever happened before where the women returned in mass? I've never heard of anything uh, this uh, size a group mobilizing, organizing, however they managed to do it. I've never heard of anything uh, quite like this in my probably 15, 20 years of being involved in uh, countering uh, TIP goings-on. Um, in investigating and prosecuting and advising, I, I, I can't recall anything like it. What was different about this case, including that the women became too big a headache for the humani? I would call this one big case with numerous subcases contained within it. I would say what's different about this situation overall, um, it might be fair to say that um, there seems to be a, a well-oiled machine behind the number of persons trafficked uh, with many individuals, offices, facilitators in Liberia and abroad. And, and bear with me for just a second. And then the persons behind the the Oman uh, TIP seem to know what they're doing in terms of recruiting and and their mechanisms. They're preying upon chiefly economically desperate persons and uh, who lack education and who are untraveled and unsophisticated, um, that the persons facilitating, organizing the the trafficking know both the Liberian and the Omanian, uh, Omani, uh, legal uh, regulatory systems well enough to navigate them both, and that the pattern of recruitment um, using mostly friendly contacts or friends and the secretive means of communicating on WhatsApp and using social media lines and extracting agency and other fees and the methodologies for facilitating and the arrival protocols at the final destination where passports are seized or taken and not returned all seem to be sort of a unique set of circumstances to this situation. The sheer numbers here, at least 112 plus, uh, going to be concentrated in, in an area abroad, one country uh, through similar recruiting agencies um, also make the situation a bit different. But uh, note that you know one could make the argument that a large number of children and adults are recruited to come from rural areas uh, to Monrovia and other uh, big city areas in Liberia through similar recruiting practices. And in terms of success, in terms of success, which I think you're, you're sort of driving towards on this question, success might mean that the victims never went to begin with. If the measure of success refers to the repatriations, 
uh, of the large number of victims of, of TIP so far, that would seem to be a rescue story. And such outcomes are probably attributable to a number of factors. And let me tick off a few that I think that apply. Uh, there was a tremendous uh, strong will of the victims themselves, of the survivors themselves and their families. Uh, and there was resourcefulness, including using various means of communication like WhatsApp and phones and emails and the internet and things like that. And they used, I think there were also friend networks. There was the willingness of the families and the friends and the international organizations. I mentioned a little while ago, the IOM and NGOs like LCYDE and, and AYPRC, and also World Hope and others to help resource, support, and repatriate uh, and care for the survivors once they returned. Um, there was some government of Liberia diplomatic efforts behind the scenes, facilitating some of the travel and supplying some identification information to uh, necessary uh, authorities. Um, there was the, the medical, legal, and other push factors that caused this group of victims to become, I think, as you mentioned at, at some point, um, a bit of a headache. They, they became, you know, a bit unwieldy to handle for some in Oman who would not probably otherwise normally let them return. Uh, there are the, the public relations optics of the victims' uh, demands to be freed from situations that they didn't agree to or were being harmed in. The victims' complaints in WhatsApp groups and the media became very powerful tools to raise awareness about the situation and make it rather untenable uh, for employers, agencies, and others to keep many of these persons uh, in Oman against their will. Um, one might say that there have been successes in the sense of some prosecutions brought to date, uh, an improvement from the past, uh, certainly an improvement uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, a number of convictions were obtained by Ministry of Justice prosecutors, uh, resulting in heavy fines and long-term imprisonment uh, under the new uh, 2021 law. Um, a number of cases are also being actively investigated still. In addition to the convictions, uh, lately restitution has been ordered for a number of victims. Uh, and uh, while it is correct that there are some challenges um, uh, to be noted on the collection side, those things might actually start to make a bit of a difference. Um, they're, they're making it into the news media um, as new narratives and, and others have reported on. And um, that, those things are all, I think, sort of contributing factors. Does this make trafficking from Liberia anywhere difficult now? I think it should make the, the trafficking from Liberia abroad more difficult and perhaps possibly less likely. Why do I say that? Because um, from the one side, law enforcement and various agencies of um, goal government of Liberia um, now know uh, many of the signs of what to look for uh, and, and for in potential TIP situations. And they can also uh, stop such situations before persons go abroad. Uh, and for sure, the police, the LIS, the LDEA and other agencies, most particularly probably the police and LIS, uh, should now be in a better position to stop larger scale and perhaps even smaller scale TIP from happening. And for sure, uh, to certain regions, um, they can also report suspicious travel patterns uh, and help policymakers to fashion rules and regulations like the April 2022 uh, Ministry of uh, Labor Standing Order Number uh, 3 uh, to prevent TIP from happening. Additionally, 
The public's awareness has been raised about traveling for employment abroad and seeking greener pastures. Uh, I've heard this uh, phrase over and over again, and I think almost everybody is becoming wary of the greener pasture uh, deals, or at least some awareness, a lot of awareness has been raised. That is in part owing to the visibility of the cases, uh, which includes all the physical and mental pains, the monetary losses, the the period of readjustment for the victims that they've been enduring. Um, hopefully those contemplating going abroad will now be much more skeptical about taking employment abroad, where the deals just seem too good to be true. Would this deter the Romani agents from trying to traffic other African women, or would they move to another country? What are the lessons from this, you think, including from other African countries? Well, one would think that the prosecutions of the traffickers in Liberia would send some sort of a message, uh, maybe even abroad, that there can be very negative consequences for actions. And some Omani agents might even begin to be a little concerned at some point that they themselves could be indicted or or maybe even extradited. At the very least, the, the Ministry of Labor's uh, Standing Order Number 3 and the prosecutions of persons in Liberia one would think that Omani agents would surmise that Liberia uh, has started to become too much of a pain to try to recruit from. Uh, additionally, Omani agents may not want the hassles involved with broken contracts. There's uh, dealing with their own disappointed Omani customers and other costs associated with doing business using Liberian persons. Agents abroad may also realize that getting people to take the risk uh, of recruiting in Liberia will become too difficult. I mean, what Liberian trafficker or facilitator wants to risk 20 plus years in prison? I mean, everybody's going to start to read about these cases. And there's a good eight cases or so now of convictions. And the and the sentences are not small. It, it may be slightly less than eight, but I, I think it's around eight. Um, perhaps there are direct consequences for the Omani agents in, involved in TIP. Uh, perhaps other criminal law or other labor violations in, in Oman that also should be considered, but they may not be sufficient uh, deterrent to dissuade them from trying to keep using you know, Liberia and Liberians. As the trafficking African women and also uh, men and children uh, from other countries, that I think that's, that's really difficult to predict. If Liberia has become too difficult a prospect to recruit from, uh, as the question originally sort of implies, traffickers may seek to find persons uh, from other countries uh, similarly situated to Liberia, poor, uneducated, unsophisticated, desperate to try to find a way out. Uh, the problem may simply shift from Liberia to another country, which from a criminal business person's standpoint, if you're in that kind of business, makes sense. Why not shift efforts to recruitment from another uh, economically challenged country where there isn't so much publicity and there aren't criminal convictions. What are the lessons from these, including from all African countries, you think? I think there are a number of lessons to be learned from the situation. One lesson would be an increase in uh, awareness raising prevention efforts could probably prevent more persons from being trafficked. Um, such a campaign has to reach, I think, beyond the traditional efforts that have been um, put out there and should contemplate usage of warnings using different and more effective methods than what than what has been done in the past. Included, I think, amongst those kinds of things would be uh, sending out blast messages to uh, telephones um, that almost you know, everyone has, uh, and on social media to inform viewers and listeners what to look out for, provide some examples of TIP, 
some cautionary notes and that sort of thing. I would encourage also on the prevention and awareness raising side, the the holding of meetings, uh, community elders and respected persons uh, in rural areas uh, need to be leaders and gather village folks to spread the word about schemes and red flags, things to watch out for. When a deal sounds too good to be true, it might just very well be. African youth groups and schools can also be an effective communicating bodies for spreading prevention and doing some awareness raising. I'll add here too, I think the prosecutors, the elected officials, I think also play an important role in terms of being community leaders and and a person of a clerical um, background. We need to involve everybody in this and we need to we need to stop using the traditional ways. Second lesson learned, I would say, is potential travelers, employees for work abroad should thoroughly test as much as possible, or their families or their friends, somebody should test the credibility and the legitimacy of employers, recruiters, employment agencies, also foreign assistance available uh, in case of trouble should be explored. So in case somebody goes to a foreign country, they have to know, where do I turn to in order to get some support, some assistance? How do I uh, get myself out of trouble? And all this should be done before going abroad to take part in uh, in great-sounding offers. Uh, WhatsApp and social media might be explored to vet recruiters and and companies, though one has to be careful because sometimes there are created cons that are made and and fabrications and that sort of thing. In terms of verifying um, uh, the credibility and legitimacy of companies, the Ministry of Labor might be able to provide some information uh, on this topic. Credible company will have, uh, you know, for those listening, uh, contact coordinates, be searchable online, should not charge fees uh, for travel or agents work. A credible company is one which, you know, can be checked with some reliable sources as to its, you know, operating legitimately, uh, being registered uh, with the countries and the local government. Um, including the the treatment of its workers or its place where it is assigned, where work is assigned. Um, legitimate companies will also make sure uh, workers have a place or places to register phone contacts, travel details, and passport information. And this all needs to be left with responsible persons in the event of troubles. And uh, contracts of any sort um, for for any sort of work need to be in English uh, or the applicable native tongue language of the person who would be signing uh, the contract so that everything can be understood and terms agreed to before anyone leaves the country. And all of these checks, if you will, are absolutely vital before anyone gets on a plane or spends any money or does anything to go abroad to work abroad. And uh, the the lure of you know greener pastures is so great, the pull is so great, but uh, if one doesn't uh, do the homework ahead of time, or the family doesn't do the homework, or friends, and so on and so forth, then there can be very painful uh, lessons uh, learned later. Third lesson uh, learned, speaking of lessons learned, um, even if uh, trafficking in persons happens abroad, investigations and prosecutions can occur domestically uh, where the victims were initially recruited from. In countries like Liberia, the consequences for being convicted uh, can be quite rough. In Liberia, the minimum sentence now under the the revised TIP Act of 2021 is 20 years 
And uh, in addition to that, there are minimal fines starting at around $100,000, and then there can be restitution. Additionally, in a, a number of jurisdictions similar to uh, Liberia, um, even if there's not going to be restitution, criminal proceeds that are tied to the TIP can be seized and forfeited. And if the situation calls for it, as I mentioned, restitution can be made. And while restitution cannot necessarily make a person whole, it can certainly ameliorate or lit- mitigate some of the suffering of the victims. And I think that we're going to start to see an increase in that, certainly in the ordering. And I think there will be more progress made on that front. Uh, The fourth big lesson I think that we can learn uh, from everything that's happened so far is that support and assistance are usually available in some measure for survivors of TIP. Is more needed? Sure. Uh, Many countries offer repatriation and and resettlement assistance, for example. So those are some kinds of uh, measures for assistance. In addition, uh, countries have some medical or psychosocial treatments available Uh, Parties to the United Nations uh, Convention Against Transnational Organized Crime, or UNTOC, and the Palermo Protocol on TIP are supposed to uh, prevent re-victimization of TIP survivors, uh, including through such things as providing education and job training, uh, temporary safe uh, home-like housing, provision of temporary and possibly permanent living and working permits, and, and, and more. Even uh, where a country has not provided such assistance, there are international organizations like the uh, IOM and NGOs like LCYDE and AYPRC and World Hope International that are usually available to assist survivors. And I would encourage you, you might have really interesting and and substantive uh, interviews with uh, persons from those uh, NGOs because they have taken it upon themselves to really try to do a lot. Uh, in assisting victims. Thank you for your time, Drew. My pleasure.